Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. I'm here for two weeks in a row. It's episode 171. Hello, Ronan. Well, that was very ambitious and also an incredible lie, Sean. Well, two episodes in a row, I should say. That's better. There's no way we've got weekly episodes. As I am quite often reminded by people, why don't you put out more episodes? Well, I'd love to. I really would. But I got work, I got family, I don't can't get to play games. What can I do? you got to get the car out of the pound. Why? Why must you relive my pain? I finished a 12-hour shift a couple of days ago, people. I walked out. I was a bit tired. Where's my car? Dude, where's my car? You kind of gave away the ending there, Sean. I, I did. I did. I've ruined that one for you. <laughs> yeah, it had been towed. It had been towed, yeah. <laughs> uh, wrongly, by the way, I wasn't supposed to be towed, and it still cost me £265. So um, let's never talk about it again, or I'll put a pen in your eye. You've already done that twice. <laughs> Shut up, you fool. Anyway, any news from you? Anything exciting going on? Uh, nothing too much, Mr. Rice. Nothing too much. Had a little trip to a board game shop for the first time in a long time yesterday. It was uh, interesting. It got, I bought myself a Demeter. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, you're going to talk about prices? You're going to name and shame? No, no, we won't name and shame. We won't name and shame, but we will shame. Well, <laughs> the prices were eye-opening. Eye-opening, indeed. In a game shop in London that's not in central London. It's in North London. <laughs> I don't know. It could be any shop. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't play. Yeah, I can't be sued. I haven't said anything. <laughs> anyway, gaming is a good leisure activity. Oh. Anything else, Sean? <laughs> uh, it's a review episode. We haven't even said that. It's just a normal picking over the bones. We've got eight games that we've played. Unusually, in a flip of our usual format, Sean has played all four of my games, and I've played none of his. Oh, have you not played any? Oh, no, of course you haven't, no. I was supposed no, to bring two of them happened? down this yeah. week. Okay, go on. Go over that story, Shady. <laughs> Let me down again. I just forgot to bring them down, didn't I? You just hate it me. It wasn't much of a story. <laughs> I was hoping, for the sake of entertainment, you could have like buffed it up a little bit, given some life well, into it. I had them in my hands, and a seagull swooped down. No, stop, 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 stop. Okay, let's go on to the first game. <laughs> I don't know where that was going. I'm not interested. It's... Icky, designed by Kuta Yamada, and it originally came out in 2015, called Ido, A Craftsman's Story, but this now has come out as Icky, I-K-I, in 2021 from Sorry, We Are French, which I still, I feel, I seriously feel bad every time I read that publisher name. It's a little joke that kind of wears, no, it doesn't wear thin over time, but it just looks a bit odd over time. <laughs> I just feel sorry for them. Like, don't... <laughs> Don't be sorry about who you are. I just, I just, maybe they need a hug or something like that. That's how it makes me feel. Like, come on, come on, you're okay. Do it. Be, be you. Anyway, it's two to four players, sixty to ninety minutes. It is set in Edo, in the old town. Lots of wooden structures, and you are supposedly a craftsman of some kind, and you're going to be going around the town over the course of the whole game and collecting stuff and turning it in attempting to score the most points against each other the main way the main mechanism of this is a rondel in which you're going to choose to move between one and four spaces clockwise around the board the number of spaces that you choose to move you can augment with one of the resources in the game called sandals whoever then after that choice has chosen to move furthest 
gets to go first. You cannot reduce the amount of moves, however, that you can do. Although there is sort of a funny way of getting your first move, but you lose out on something if you do the... Like, you can move as many... There's one person can move as many places as they want, and they get to go first, but they've lost out on something else to do it. Anyway, generally, the point I'm getting to is that that rondel, the movement is central to the whole thing, but I found it a bit frustrating, Sean, because more often than I would have liked... There are two main set collection ways, basically, of scoring points. There are various ways we'll go over, but there's two main set collections in which you collect tobacco and you collect fish, and they're available in two spaces. And they're very limited if you've got more than a couple of players. And I found myself like, well, it's going to be two spaces for me to get there, but the person behind me also wants them. So it's going to be three spaces for them to get there. So if I choose two, they're going to go choose three, go before me and get it. And I have no way of adjusting that. And if I choose like one and short play it, I'm going to need one space to get there next time, which means I'll be last in turn order so someone else could come behind me and take it. But if I choose three, I'll go past it and I've got to get all the way around the rondel to get there again. I probably haven't got time to do that before those fish disappear. And I'm in a position where the thing that I want to do, I just, there's no way of me doing it. Or you could choose the wild card and you always go first on the wild card. Yeah, okay. And if that's been taken... Right, so yeah, if that if that's gone, then the reason that's gone and the reason that something else has gone is because that you've not been bumping up on your on your fire track, as we know. So that's going to set the turn order. So that, that, there's reasons why you find yourself in that position. It's not just oh, I just happen to be in that position. No, oh, I think I happen to be in that position too often. And the, the issue for me is is that. Off the eight spaces you can land on around the board to take your, your main action, some of them are very situational, and some of them will only be useful towards the end of the game, and some of them you're like, oh, well, I don't really need that because of whatever. So there's only very few that are useful, and it's those pinch points that cause a problem to me because quite often what I'm doing is that I'm taking actions that are complete compromise, that I'm just, well, I'm just doing something, but it's not something I really want to do. I wasn't too happy with it. Anyway, the, the basic actions that are in there, apart from that section, but are a lot of them are resource conversion, in which there's money in the game, and you're either selling things for money, or you're spending money to get gold, which is going to help you build high-value buildings or points towards the end of the game, usually. Food, which you're going to need to feed your workers, which you can draft. We'll get to all this. Wood to help the buildings. Sandals to help your movement. Or again, it's this set collection of the fish and the tobacco. And I didn't find that I wanted to do that resource conversion very often. So a lot of my turns were kind of dud. I never found that at all. I always kind of tried to flow with it in terms of, yeah, you know what, if I land on sandals, get the sandals, and then I've got the sandals in hand if I need them, and I can also swap them for for food later on, which is a very important resource uh, if you want to keep your workers on, on the board. And... I felt I feel like you just have to go at the flow. Sometimes you can't plan for everything because, as you said, you get out of turn order, someone nips in in front and gets maybe one of the set collection elements in front of you. There's one space that I found particularly useless in the beginning of the game, and that's the the building, the building area when you where you get uh, the building materials because you're not going to build early in the game because you just don't have the ability to do so. But other than that, I kind of tried... I think it's making the most of what you get. Is That's what the game sings out to me. So what, 
you're describing there is making the best of what you get to me felt like a lack of agency and that I wasn't driving enough and the second thing I say is that that thing that you said was useless with the building one until you get later on in the game that's the space just before the fish collection so if you are going to get nabbed ahead off to me often I was like well if I if I try and slow ball this and get the second set of fish because only two available each season then I'm just landing on that space which is no good and that's where I was getting annoyed. Now, those basic actions aren't the only thing you do when you land on a space. The, the whole thing is structured into four seasons. There's basically 12 and a half rounds. There's an end round in which you can do a few bits of what you've got left over. But at the beginning of each of these rounds, you get to draft characters. Now, when you draft the character, you place them somewhere on the board. And there's just two characters basically available in each space off the board. And those add actions. So whatever it might be. And again, it's going to be a, a conversion of something or get something extra. Or as Sean said, boost up your fire protection because fires can happen at certain times at the end, uh, end of rounds and what have you. And we'll get into that. When others take the actions on your characters, they start to promote your characters because your characters are going to give you an income. But you really want them to be promoted because they'll still give you an income, but you don't have to pay food for them at the end of each season. So that adds a, a different level to the action, Sean, and definitely adds a different level when you're choosing where you want to go. Yeah, you want to almost second guess where people are going to want to go themselves for those basic actions. You're looking to sort of put them in, in prime positions, like maybe the fish collection or the, or the tobacco collection, where you know people are going to want to go because there's just easy points there. And there are certain areas that are prime positions and you have to pay a little bit extra for because they, they hit double double areas in, in two-player game and stuff like that. You had to mention the two-player game and characters in the same breath, did you? Oh, what's, what's it done to you? What's it done to you? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's just start with the characters in the two-player game before we go to any other issues that may or may not be there with the two-player game. In a multiplayer game, using someone else's character, to me, never felt like that big a deal. Because generally, I was getting more than it was going to cost them in, it's going to cost them one rice at the end of a season. Okay, when characters become promoted and retired, they're available for points at the end of the game. But I was still getting a benefit from it. And they're going to get an income from that character anyway. It's just whether they have to pay them or not. In a two-player game, that completely changes. Because it becomes very zero-sum there. And we just avoided using each other's characters and you played it two player before i did and i think you had a very similar experience we used them when we absolutely had to and when we weighed up sort of that is really beneficial for us to 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 use them more often than not if there was a, another choice of sort of equal amount we'd always obviously choose not to help the other person it takes out quite a sort of layer of the game a layer of decision making that I thought was a bit strange. Also, there are certain ways in which you can boost all your characters. So by going all the way around the board once, boosts all your characters once. So it kind of does promote you to move quicker, but also there are cards that let you do promotions as special sort of bonuses. And they then become really, really valuable because there's no normal way of promoting your own characters. As you said, there's cards that do any when you go around the board. I found in the two-player game that sandals become a lot more important because you do want to get around that board quickly and you don't want to move a lot further in, in your turns. And we tended to collect a lot more sandals. I think you're going towards you really didn't like the, the two-player version. I really liked it. 
and I liked it three player as well but I liked the two player I thought it really scaled well but in a weird way and it was a different game but I liked both of the games if you understand what I'm saying well I haven't got all the way through the rules yet but you've, you've brought me to one of my points lower down that I'll just go for <laughs> the two player game was utter utter bunk it was awful it wasn't it was tedious I listen the main part of it was mate every single season was five minutes of playing the game, ten minutes of admin. Ten minutes of admin? Yeah, because every round, you're having to swap, you take out the characters, put them in, put them in, put them out, put it, all right. End of the round again, you're putting the characters in, you're putting them out, putting them more, you can't get rid of them, because nothing really scales. You've got the same number of characters available that are never going to get taken. The same numbers of fish and tobacco, which are really scarce in a multiplayer game, there's now there's no rush. Why well, It doesn't matter now. All right, you get the first fish. I get one that's slightly worse, but it's not worth me fighting you for it. I'll just carry on doing my own thing. So it takes out that difficult... Well, I was saying it was hard sometimes because you get blocked out of set collection in a multiplayer game. In a two-player game, you can't get blocked out. They could take both of them, but there's no point because they're not scoring enough for that. It comes in getting one each season. That's where the benefit and the big scoring comes from. So they would like waste their time basically picking up both. They could try and take all the tobacco, but it's, it's not worth it to them. So there's no rush. So now there's no sense of urgency on that board. I can just go along and do whatever I want, knowing that there's no way of them blocking me from doing what I want to do. I felt it, I, I see. I, I felt different because there are certainly once you get to the second, third, and fourth rounds, I felt that the difference in the fish was massive because the, the points values of the better fish got better and better and better, and it gave you a massive leap in the fish scores. So, therefore, you really wanted the better fish. And we were racing for the better fish. And, as you say, the person who gets the first fish, then, yeah, you've got no urgency to get the second one because you you get it at your leisure. But I was gutted when I couldn't get that first fish because it really gave the other person a bump. Even if I was to accept that, and I'm not saying I do, (laughs) that means one space out of eight on the board there was any rush to get to. I just felt no tension. I really didn't. And I just felt like I'm constantly going, right, what do we do now? What have we got to pay? Everyone's paying wages all the time because no one ever gets promoted. The characters soon fill up because they're not getting promoted. I just, I tell, honestly, my rating for the two-player game was 18. I hated it. Rachel hated it. We were just sitting there going, this is just boring. It's quick. It goes really fast, but it goes to nothing, to no end. I cut my teeth on the two-player game, and uh, we played it a handful of times. And, mate, I couldn't be doing more different. I loved it. I'd almost say I prefer it to the three-player. Okay. At the end of each season, which is part of all this admin that I was saying, in our opinion, took too long, there's a weird colour scoring thing so all these characters we're talking about and I was talking about end game scoring for them they come in different colours at the end of the game you will score points for having one of each different colour but also in the four sections of the board that it's divided into two spaces in each if there's a synergy of colours of characters you score a handful of extra points was that ever really relevant? A few, it's a little tickle of points well, again, in the two-player game, it was easier to... Cause, because the characters are leaving the board so quickly, the two-player game, I felt that, that that was actually stronger and you could get a small income of points by going next to each to another person of the same colour. And uh, you get two or three in, in that area, 
then you are going to score a small trickle of points in each area. And because, as I said, you can't people can't get rid of their workers unless they're really zooming around that board because we're not using them in two in two players. The second the other people aren't using your workers, so I felt that it was a stronger points sort of trickle and addition to your score in the two player than it was the three player. So it meant more in the two player. I'm going to counter you on that. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the luxury of choosing three purple characters early in a two-player game and then taking that trickle of points because it's only the characters that you took early were going to get promoted. And getting them promoted of various colours was worth more points than that little trickle of points. So I felt like you had to go for a variety of colours very early, which removed that colour scoring thing. Because that was the only way you were going to get them promoted up and get them retired and score lots of points off them. I didn't feel that at all, mate. I felt that if Natalie grabbed a, a purple worker and there was another purple worker available, I'd put it down next to myself. So if I started, I start with that yellow worker, the yellow base worker, I start and I'll grab the yellow worker that comes out or the brown worker, whatever it is, and place it next to myself to give myself that, that bonus. Sorry, you're right, absolutely. I got that completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, like, like your whole review of this one, but, you know, whatever. No, cool. no. Uh, I, think, I think you'll find that I'm on the massively <laughs> side of the people. Uh, I don't know, massively. It's not that highly rated, is it? Oh, I don't know. Should we have a look? Uh, do you know what? I'm typing in now. It's uh, average rating of... <laughs> okay, okay, 7.7. I'll shut that. <laughs> <laughs> Best with four, though. I will say that. And definitely... That rings true with me, that best with four. Okay, I haven't actually gone over everything that happens at the end of the season, although I've kind of touched on most of it. You get wages and benefits. You have to pay rice for every worker that's still on the board, but you get benefits for everyone, including when they're retired. And that can can accelerate your economy and get you going and get your income. And, and that can sort of help you strategize where you're going to go. At the end of certain rounds, there's going to be a fire. Fire will start in one corner of the board, of the four corners, and it will move across a section of up to three workers, and it will destroy the workers if you haven't boost up your fire protection. As Sean mentioned earlier, your fire protection works two ways. It is the turn order for choosing how many moves, which then becomes the turn order, but also it protects you from the chance of getting your stalls burnt down by this rampaging fire. There is no bonus for defeating the fire, but it just means you don't get destroyed. The absolute main danger of that is that you score at the end of the game in various ways in having your sets of retirees in different colours by collecting the fish and tobacco by having scored some in-game points we mentioned all of them and we briefly mentioned buildings buildings cost a lot they generally cost wood and or gold which are not used for much else in the game other than towards the end you can sell them with certain characters but buildings must be built somewhere where the stalls are where the characters go and fire can be a danger to the building, Sean. And I found that at the beginning of the game, there's not as much to do. Towards the end, you kind of, to me, I was losing sight of fire protection. And I get to a certain level and go, I'll grab a couple more. But the number of characters that give you fire protection towards the end actually reduces. And I would at times be panicking a bit about my buildings catching fire because there are a lot of points. The, the whole fire mechanic for me is was the one sort of me- mechanism in the game that I really didn't like. It's just so random, so punishing, and it made you 
have to go up on that fire track. Now, I, I played a game with you and Rachel where I deliberately didn't go up on that fire track to see what the game would be like for me. And it was difficult. It was so difficult. Always been last in turn order. Always been vulnerable to, to that fire hitting. And it did hit me too, twice in the game where I lost a worker. So that's the one area of the game that I really don't appreciate. The fact that I'm told... You don't go up on that fire track, then you kind of you, you, you're open to everything. I wasn't sure how you're going to feel about it because I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it as well. It <laughs> does feel like a distraction, but then at times, but like you say, you can be sitting there with a very valuable building, and it's a draw of a tile. One in four, is it going to burn? Exactly. Yeah, you can, you can boost your fire to protect against that, but yeah, it does feel like a distraction. The other thing I say about the buildings is that. There are built. You get like a random draw of buildings at the beginning of the game, so you know what you can build. Some of them give you straight up points. Some of them give you points per something in the game, but they're quite difficult to build, and it generally takes a while unless you hyper hyper focus on building them. If you hyper focus on building them, you're going to give up on, let's say, set collection. We keep coming back to it, but the buildings tend to score for things like your set collection, like per fish or per tobacco. So I was in a situation where I can never see where these buildings would be very useful. Because if I focus on building them early, I, I, can't, I haven't got any fish. Because <laughs> there's only like one or two rounds left. I can't get a load with one or two seasons left. So uh, if, I build, I, if I build them at the end, they're, they're not that worth that much to me. So only basically builders that give straight up end game points were getting built in my games. It is a funny little decision to make because... You don't want to build a building because you lose a worker for the rest of the game. And then that building's there and it's open to fire and all that business. So, you, as you said, you want to kind of build them late. But you, so if, you, if you're going to build the one that maybe, I don't know, scores for, for fish, that could go. So you could build up all your fish and get yourself ready to get that building. But that could go under your, under your nose. Someone else could be doing exactly the same thing and just whip it out from under you. Then you're kind of, oh, what building do I build now? So I do, I see where you're coming from with that one. I felt like I just took a chance on maybe one or two buildings and I started like, gathering food ready to, ready to sort of exploit it with that building and maybe have another one in the pipeline if that one didn't come through. But I kind of get where you're coming from with that one. Okay. We've been banging on about I knew we would because I knew we were going to argue about this one. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of one or two points. It looks lovely, which we haven't mentioned yet. It does, yeah. It's a beautiful looking game. It's um, it's based on a, a Japanese artwork, isn't it? It's a, a piece of artwork depicting the the, the town centre and the markets, isn't it? I don't know. I presume it's just based on the town centre. You could have just said no, no, no. It's but it's literally a piece of artwork that shows all the people out in the market buying and selling, and like it's one of those really detailed bits of artwork where you can see the traders and all that. I know what you're saying, but wouldn't that be based on the reality? Oh, true. I suppose the artwork is based on the market, so yeah, okay. <laughs> Shut up. I'm taking out the middle, man. <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing looks lovely. A tiny couple of bits of fiddliness, but generally the production is 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 nice and functional, and it's very colourful, and it, it it is enjoyable to play. I will say I'm going to um I'm going to argue here about that 7.7 rating. Because I think there are longevity issues with the game. Because I didn't feel like there was much different I could do. Second play, third play. And yes, while, it, while the conflict between how far can I move and what's happening on the on the turn order track 
that happened, but that felt more of a frustration than anything else. I didn't feel like I was doing anything different. I think this has got an early one or two games and it looks lovely bump and that as there are more plays, I think ratings will tend to drift down because it will become samey. Possible, possible. I think in itself, the, the tactical decisions that you're making in the game are obviously going to change from what the people are doing around you and what have you. Your strategy is going to stay roughly the same, isn't it? So I, I can see that. I can see this drifting a little bit down, but um, I mean, obviously we've got different opinions on this. I think it's going to stay up in the sevens and you probably think it's going to be drifting down into the sixes. Well, I think from that stronger start, it will be a big old drift for it to go yeah. down much further. But now, um, any thoughts before we sum up? So, so well, for me, I just found the whole thing was an excellent blend of that action selection and worker placement. I like the setting up the workers to tempt others into into using your workers. One of the things I do, I like it when we build our own game sort of thing. And I like the fact that we were kind of building our own rondelle. So you'd put a worker down that would change that worker action space. And I'd put a bit of one that would change it the way I wanted it. And we'd try and tempt each other in. That's what I liked about the three-player games in particular. I've already said it, the fire mechanic didn't particularly like that. But I, what I just generally felt about the whole game running was it, it just packs a, a lot of really small decisions into a small time frame that were quite difficult and... Every every time we were doing the bidding and the moving, it was all that always that little bit of tension. Where's Ronan going to go? Where's Rachel going to go? Agonising, but agonising in a good way. The last thing I'll say about it, it just feels different to the average Euro. And for that reason, I think it'll hang in my collection. Yeah, that that might be a superficial thing for a little while. But uh, I'll see how it goes in, in, the, in the length of time, in the full length of time. And a rating? And a rating... Way higher than yours, I give it a 78. Oh! <laughs> you didn't dare put it on an 80 for sakes of me bleeding at the eyeballs, I'm guessing. <laughs> you know what, I've rated it 8 out of 10 on Board Game Geek, but, yeah, because I don't do point... Oh, I do, actually, I do point fives, but I don't do point, like, w- ones and twos. So, 78 feels about right to me. I mean, that's like an adult killer saying they're better than a child killer. <laughs> it doesn't have points in the rating system, but whatever. Okay. It, I found Icky to be a game in which each turn was either I took the obvious route if it was available to me, or I had to compromise and I wasn't very happy with my turn. And neither of them felt very satisfying. I felt that too few decisions felt consequential. In the end, that, obviously Sean disagrees, the awful experience of the two-player game for us did drag the rating down to even lower than it would have been. But the three- or four-player game wasn't terrible. I just wouldn't be rushing to play it again. So I've given it a... I'm interested. What do you think I've given it? I reckon you've given it a 55. 48. Oh, you horrible man. (laughs) (laughs) Go on then, take us in with another one that's controversial. Lots of high ratings, some low ratings. Hit me. So, the next one is the the latest big bling from Awakened Realms. It's The Great Wall. And I'm going to butcher some names here. Camille Siesla, uh, Robert Plezovich, and Lukas Vladarczyk. 
yeah, it's about building the Great Wall and defending the Great Wall against the invaders, for want of a better word. And uh, you're doing this by using worker placement and you're trying to earn the most honour for your general in the game. What you're generally doing is placing workers down, you're gathering resources. With those resources, you're going to be building troops and you're going to be constructing the wall or temporary defences. And you're going to be sending those troops beyond the wall to fend off the, the invading hordes. Now, the first bit I'll tackle with this one, Ronan, is it's a really interesting take on worker placement. Because when you place a worker down, you don't just immediately gather the resources. You have to wait until that worker placement area is full up. So you're kind of relying on other people going in there. You can fill it yourself, but you're going to get like a negative dishonor you're going to get dishonor because you've been greedy and i found that quite interesting you can also power up your worker by putting a foreman down there as well that's going to give that worker slightly extra things so a lot of tweaks on the worker placement mechanism i like the sound of that i like the way that sounds interesting to me is it beneficial to go are you are you made in some way to go in with other players or would it be a strategy to just say no I'm not going in with you I'm not doing it this time and can players end up feeling frustrated when they need something that they can't get it themselves there's, there's four main resources in the game and you're going to need a, a little income of those coming through most rounds so you're going to have to go into most of them at some point but you can certainly make people wait and the turn order in this game is also really important because in certain areas, if you're first in turn order, even if you've gone in second or third, you're going to take the resources first and you're going to do the action first. And that's particularly in your face when you build in a section of the wall. So what happens when you build in a section of the wall is you take any resources that are in the general supply and you, you use those to build part of what you're giving to the wall. And if you're the first in there, then happy days, you get all the resources. If you're not, you have to generate all those resources yourself from your own stash. So that, again, another little twist on the worker on, on the worker placement is that it's turn order. And it's, it's a simple place where you go and you move your disc one up the pile. That can be fought over quite a lot. I don't know if I'm jumping in at the wrong time here. But with both of those, and from what I'm reading, having not played Great Wall, mm. lots of people are saying that you need, well, it's best with four or five, because all, that's when all those mechanisms start to really shine and all the interaction becomes very strong. Yeah, I never played it at four or five, so I obviously never saw it at its best. We found at the lower play count that it took a while to get everything going to build sections of the wall took a long time to fill up the area because so you would almost sort of say right i can't be bothered i'll do it myself i'll take i'll take the dishonor and i'll just i'll just get all those resources which is a valid strategy but it, definitely the game was a lot slower at two and three lot slower a very slow game well I think, from what I'm reading, it doesn't get any quicker with four or five. It's just more interactive. <laughs> I mean, there's reports of six-hour first games, and that's for various reasons, oh, but certainly... one major reason, but we'll come to Well, that. yeah, I think we're going to get to that, don't we? I can tell that just by reading stuff. It comes up again again. But even with the more players, 
Now, in fairness, there's lots of comments that downtime isn't a big problem because there's always stuff going on. But it is generally a three to four hour game, Sean. So you're hanging a lot of weight off the bones of a game. You're making it three or four hours long. What what they do? So you've got these base mechanisms of worker placement and building your troops and putting your troops out. Then you've got these little bits of fluff around, like there's advisors going on. I've already mentioned the foreman that can bump your moves up. You've got advisors that come and help you in different ways. They either give you a straight-up power to use or they can attach to your general to make your general's unique power stronger. So they work in different ways. You've also got tactics cards. When you place your troops on the horde, so it's kind of like almost a a tetris style to it where you're covering up but you're trying to match these the shapes of your dudes. They're not hard because there's either twos or ones, but you're putting them on top of the spaces on the horde cards. And when the horde card is completely full, then that's that horde is defeated. For each time you put one uh, a troop on there, you get a reward. So the tactics cards help you do that, and they change that up a little bit and get you other rewards and maybe knock the other players slightly. And just these little bits of fluff around it that on paper, sounded really interesting. It sounded like there was so much loads going on and you'd never be bored. Hmm. 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 It's telling. Hmm. Uh, concerns about imbalances in the general, especially the general powers, but also the advisor powers as well. There's, there's so many, because obviously I got the Kickstarter version and it just came with so many generals, so many advisors, but definitely we started to see advisors coming through where like uh, Matthew would get an advisor and they go, oh, no, mine does this. And we'd be like, what? Mine gives me like a gold every nine turns. Yours helps you defeat a horde on its own. Like, no, that's that's wrong. Put it out of the game. Yeah, definitely the advisors we noticed. There were some odd balancing issues. Okay, I'm trying to avoid the elephant in the box. <laughs> so I've got one, one more question for go you. Go for it, go for it. As an experience, does it, work better when there's sort of friendly play going on where people are deliberately not going to be Egypts to each other and be like I'm going to leave you stuck there and there's a little bit of we'll help each other along to get doing what we're doing has it got that sort of need for players to massage the experience in order to get the most out of it I think that's exactly what it needs because it's all very well being a bit dicky to each other and saying, ha, I left you there. You can't get do that turn this round. Well, what about if you can't do it three rounds time? And what about if they eventually let you do it and they're first in turn order? In a game, as you said, that can go four hours. That is really frustrating. Imagine that's happened to you for like the eighth time in, in that four hours. You're ready to kill. Like, <laughs> what? No. So I think kill, <laughs> kill the horde, or? <laughs> everything around you. Yeah, I think it really does help if people just like yeah. Occasionally, it's just not in their interest to go in somewhere. Fine, don't go and help someone just because they're getting a bit miffed. They haven't had their turn. But if you're going to go there anyway, don't just put it off and, and sort of hinder your own game just to, just to annoy them. I think that's the way we played it. Is this why you won't let me play it? By the way. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we will end up fighting. It will be tops off in the back garden. <laughs> I'm fighting, man. Right.
Go on then, Sean. You were building. I can see you feel like you're getting your blood pressure up. You're getting a bit excited. You're going somewhere. I'm going to say the word rule book. I've lit the blue touch paper. Go, mate. Oh, I'm not. I haven't even. I've, I've gone past the anger stage. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just at that because it's it's gone. It's gone from my collection. So that'll give you an idea of how what I think about the game. That rule book and just learning it was the single worst rule book. And we talk about rule books all the time, bad rule books, and it's it's a bugbear of both of us. It was awful. It just it had a really weird structure to it. It would jump from place to place, and it, it wasn't like a cohesive like okay, and that leads us to this point, which is a nice point to jump into this area of the game. It just go right, okay, you defeat hordes like this. And here's how you get resources. Oh, let's go back to the hordes because when you go on the hordes, you can uh, no. And then there'd be there'd be words that were misprinted in there that like key words. There'd be stuff that just didn't and, make and sense. And on cards, right? And Sorry? on cards. And on the cards, there'd be stuff that didn't make sense. There was, as you said, misprints on the card, misprints on the help card. Like even just a simple thing as. Telling me what side of the board was for two or for three players or two players or what have you, even that, that was a trial. Like I had to know understand the game before I could work out what side of the board to use. Like it was just horrific learning from the from this. And one of the things I I, I said when this game first arrived was um, Awaken Realms. They're just such a clever company. They know what they're doing. And I said it to you, and I said it to anyone who stands still long enough. And I go, what a great production. What a magnificent thing. They've even supplied like a little teaser for their next game. A little free gift for, for back in the game, like you can use in the game. And I just said, they just know their business. And then that rule book, and I'm like, do they? Because that rule book made me really want to hate the game. And I don't think it's a terrible game, but I just couldn't keep it in my collection because I just had this terrible start with it. And I just couldn't get over the hump. You've got the hump. <laughs> I got the hump indeed. <laughs> okay, I've read something on here that I, I don't think either of us will be able to answer. But there was a, a, a thought running through that the rule book and the gameplay became a compromise due to the fact that rather than just going with the game they believe in, they did the Kickstarter thing of going, well, it can be this and it can be that, and we'll put a solo mode in and a two-player mode because we're trying to get as many people to back as possible. Something that you disagree with but I feel icky suffer with it should have just been a three to four player game but whatever it, with Great Wall did that compromise lead them into a bit of a mess where not everything works correctly because they were trying to cover too broad a spectrum right, I don't think yeah. we can answer that but it was interesting for me well, to I, can, I can answer it a little research. bit because well alright Sean can answer that I can answer it a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think you've actually touched on something that I, I've been thinking is that when I started to learn a game, because I quite often like to watch videos of a game being played and uh, like learn rules videos or playthroughs. When I started watching the game, I started learning it from like these playthroughs and watching it. When I got the game in front of me, it wasn't the same game. So I think those because those videos all came out like a year before when they were sending out the prototypes. I the, think that's what triggered. That's what triggered the discussion. That this yeah. is, some people are saying this is not the game I backed. No, no, it's complete. The one, the prototype that people were playing, and the Dice Tower did it. Like some big people played this game. Oh, I don't call the big people. That's a bit, <laughs> it's um, 
and it wasn't the same game. So I've kind of got this game in my head and this is how you play it. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at this rulebook going, that's not what I learned. And I almost think that the rulebook suffered because of that as well, because I think they tried to crowbar their changes into their original rule set rather than just saying, right, okay, we've got a different game here, let's start again. And that's what the rulebook felt like. It felt like a mishmash of like them literally copying and pasting new rules into it. Fair enough. Right, Sean, give us it in summary and number form. How was Great Wall overall for you? Not great from the sound of it. <laughs> so, as I said at the beginning, there's a lot of exciting ideas in this game. But all in all, they just didn't quite hold that promise. The rulebook learn- destroys the learning experience. Rulebook aside, this game was almost good. It could have been, should have been, but it just didn't fulfil. Various things like the imbalance of the advisors, the fiddliness of it, just too long for what it was. You, there wasn't actually that much going on for this to be a four-hour game. And for that reason, I'm, I'm still giving it not a bad score, but it's a 45. That's, that's a fairly bad score. It's fairly bad, but not, not awful. Did you you tempered yourself a little after you got back your temper? Okay. I am going to carry us on with a little tile layer called Almadi, designed by Mathieu Bossu and Francois Gandon. 2021 release, two to five players, taking about 45 minutes to play. It is themed around the end of the 101st night of the Tales of Arabian Nights, and the Sultan wants you to help build a new realm for him uh, in honour of Scheherazade. I'm terrible at saying that lady's name, I'm sorry. Okay, it's a tile layer. And there's going to be an offer of eight tiles out available to you. And they're going to be split two on each row, one to four. And you're going to draft a tile, any of those eight tiles. But the row you take it from is the row that it must go into. Now, we'll start with that, Sean, straight in. That limits your options, which with this particular rule set is very important. Because as we see, there are other options and considerations about where your tile lay in. So I felt like that limitation at the very beginning when you start drafting, was necessary to keep the game ticking along. Yeah, it's uh, got that quadropolis thing about it. And yeah, it threw up the restrictions that made it necessary to think around. Because I think, it would, for me, it would completely ruin the game if, you, if it didn't have those restrictions. Because it'd be too easy just to place your tiles anyway, obviously. So it was certainly a thing that I really warmed to quickly. So one of the reasons why that is important is because when these tiles come out and there are various different types of them, they're not a lot, there's a few, and we'll talk about what they do and how they are around each other is all very important. But before I even get to the heart of that, Sean, as part of your drafting, one of the most important decisions is that there are arrows and there are symbols around the edges of these tiles, which is unusual. And when you place a tile at any point and the arrow points to a symbol that will trigger some sort of action for you so that is adding a bit of length and complexity to your decisions and also to your turn and one of the major things is that as well as triggering things we'll go through there are genies on the edge of some of the tiles and when you put an arrow next to a genie you can do a move and you can move a tile from anywhere to anywhere as long as it stays within the framework the checkerboard that you're creating 
And also you can trigger more genies by doing that. And you can do up to three moves on your turn. So that initial restriction becomes even more important because it gives you much more flexibility of movement of tiles after they've been placed as opposed to most other tile layers. It's an extra thought layer and it's an extra thought process rather that you just got to make sure you get those genies in the right place so you can move things around. And I think that you've summed up the whole point of the game. Restrictions at first, but then able to move things around to suit yourself if you place them in the correct ways. And you're going to have to move things around because the way that everything scores of the main sort of at the end of the game how you've laid it out is all independent to how they are next to other tiles so the various tiles you can get are palaces palaces will only score if they're surrounded by other types which are markets and oases oases will only score for being in big groups of each other so they must be connected orthogonally the markets themselves will only score according to the goods on them and stall cards you've collected by triggering arrows onto stall card symbols at the edge of tiles. But you can collect a load of those goods from markets and stalls, but you have to have caravan trains, which means orthogonally adjacent groups of camels next to each other, and they will give you an ability. The more of them are next to each other, the more goods they can carry, which will score you for them. And everything triggers off each other, Sean, and there's an awful lot to consider when you're thinking about how you want this arrangement of only 16 tiles to look at the end of the game. <laughs> I think, yeah, people, and it's weird, people go at it in different ways. I was very compartmentalised. I'd say, right, that, that's my caravan row. This is my market row. These, these, these are my palaces. And that's the way I, I figured it out in my mind to stop me going mad. But some people were all over the shop and then pulled it together right at the last minute with like 93 genie moves. And yeah, it was interesting the way people went about that. Oh, I, th- I found that quite often the arrow and symbol matching pulled against doing the obvious just create big groups thing. And you're trying to weigh, do I go for the obvious scoring or is it worth these bonuses I've got? And you always think you'll get loads of genie moves at the end to move things around, but you're not necessarily going to do that. No, no, you've got to be, you've got to plan for it and you've got to be a little bit clever about how you do it. You could find yourself just not able to pick up a genie because none comes out from the pile or people schnaffle them before you correct or you're not in the right place and you got the, yeah. you know, they're in row two and you're draft a four okay so i've mentioned that you can trigger off genies that let you move there also there are hammers if you trigger them with an arrow you get to take a mosaic tile mosaic tiles will be placed again to score your palaces again at the end so if you're triggering hammers to take mosaics you want to make sure you've got high scoring palaces to double up on their scores there are also objectives you can take now objectives will give you there are various ones and they vary from game to game but they come in sort of categories and the more players you have the more sort of general ones you have in the game now you can take them from the offer but also sean one of the parts of this that felt a little bit off from the general feel is that you can steal objectives from other players if they haven't completed them yet yeah that (laughs) i think myself and nat house ruled that one we didn't do that but yeah it did feel a bit odd you someone's working the way towards an objective and you can just snaffle it which is a bit mean i think we had an unspoken agreement that we weren't going to do that because i did it once and it didn't go down very well and even i felt bad for doing it so i was like okay i'm going to leave this alone now the one part of the game I'm going to tell you, the one thing that triggered off that really felt sort of dead to me was that in the basic game, there are rubies available. When arrow points to ruby, you take a ruby and you score points to rubies and you get by yourself most rubies at the end. That felt a bit duller than the rest of the game. 
in the advanced game, those rubies can be spent to hire characters. You draft characters into your private hand and you must pay rubies to bring them into play. Or there is an offer which you um, can you can take them from there, basically, the ones that the other players have rejected. Mm-hmm. I was hopeful, because the rubies, I, did, I was like, oh, that's a kind of rubbish. They must be for the characters. I was hopeful that the characters would bring a bit more life into the game and a bit more variety. I'm guessing that you didn't particularly think so. I wouldn't ever play without the characters. I like the characters and the fact that you're building up towards something that will give you a little ongoing power or some points at the end of the game or something that you could do that would just change it slightly. It wasn't earth-shattering, it wasn't groundbreaking, didn't change the game massively, but I thought it was a better use of the, the rubies. I will say that what they did for me was double down on the worst part of the game for me in that they added more convolution and that mechanically it's a very very simple game what i didn't need was more things to think about when i'm taking a tile and putting it down and then now i've got these other characters to think about and should i draft them and because i wasn't doing enough and sometimes, especially when genie moves come into play, but not only when genie moves come into play, there was so much for people to think about, and they had so many options on their turn, they were slowing right down. And I did it as well. And sometimes I'd slow right down. I'd be like, this is like, there's very limited decisions here, but I cannot grok all the, the things that are going to happen out of this move. And I've got so many options, and the, and the possibility of triggering four extra powers, which could even trigger more extra powers. And then there's all this scoring is sort of double-layered, and the palaces have to be next to this and that, but the oasis can't be split up. And it was just too much to think about for such a mechanically simple game. So the characters actually detracted from me by adding more. I put the characters aside. I knew what they did. And at the point where I'd get to trigger in the character close to it, that's when I pay attention to them. So, yeah, I, I, but I get what you mean. Yeah, it, it does. There's a lot going on with the, with the moving around and the taking the tile from a certain row, making sure that it's going to match in with your plans or at least be flexible so you can move it around. And, yeah, I get it. There's lots going on. Okay, I'm going to bang through some points very quickly. Pretty sure you're not going to agree with me on all of them. Uh, the theme, not a desert joke. It's incredibly dry, and I found the whole experience to be incredibly dry. Yep, agree. Uh, I didn't like the look either. I thought it looked quite cheap. It was quite cheap, in fairness. Yeah, it is a cheap game, so it (laughs) does what it says in the tin, I suppose. I just mentioned the convoluted scoring. I couldn't look at my board and go, okay, that's roughly where I am. I had to really think and think and think about, oh, that's that, and adds that, and add that together, and that's that, and take that for the weight and what could be the speed of the game dragged it down a bit for me i'd rather the scoring was clearer i liked it i like the fact that uh, it wasn't immediately obvious to everyone around the table how well you're doing because you could be cracking on with something and obviously your board is quite fluid anyway and i like that someone's not sitting there going well you're obviously winning which i do a lot i hold my hands up but it's even stopped and then me win. <laughs> and then win <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah i liked that aspect of it so the fact that it turns take a while and then it's kind of multiplayer solitaire i don't particularly care what you're doing they've made an attempt at it like biggest ways to get a bonus and whatever not really it's kind of when you're having your turn i'm just kind of like whatever you're doing what you're doing so you would think the two player then when i say that would be best and it actually comes up and bg is best with two i'm gonna say it's not best with two because everything becomes zero something and because 
all the scoring sort of multiplies off itself and lots of caravans score loads of points. I mean, you have to watch what the other player's doing. You can't let them run away with any particular aspect. So if they are drafting loads and loads of caravans and markets, you then have to start drafting them. Otherwise, they're just going to explode and go away. You're both forced towards a middle ground and you're forced to play fairly similarly to each other for the, for the risk of that sort of explosion of points in one area. So it actually detracts from the game for me. I can't go my own route. I have to watch you. I, I like it at two, but I, I agree. I preferred it at three player. When I learned it at three player, and that's kind of when I really, really enjoyed it and uh, ended up buying the game off the back of that. Um, but yeah, two player, probably not as good. You're right. Okay. Do you want to sum up for us? Because you have played this, as you just said, and you will have a score for us. I do have a score for you. So I just really enjoyed the challenge of this game. It, it felt, again, it's another one that just felt that little bit different. We've all played tile layers where you're kind of restricted where, where you place the tile and then it's stuck there for the rest of the game. I like the ability to move things around and to chain off things. And you could have some really big rounds where you chain like two or three different things. And I, f- I felt that, was the bit that was singing to me. Yeah, it looks a bit cheap, looks a bit bland. It is very solitaire, but I, I enjoyed Armadi. Not, I don't want to say it's a, a, a great game, but I liked it. It was a good game, and that's why I gave it a 68. Can you have a word with Matthew Jude for me, by the way? Go on. His review video for it is titled Tile Laying Perfection. <laughs> <laughs> a spoiler at best okay <laughs> this is clever and when it comes out and you first play it you go oh this is a bit different and I'm thinking quite a lot and it suggests a lot of potential because there's a lot of convolution in there but to me there's convolution without depth so the first game is like kind of a oh I didn't expect this from this and the second game you're like oh I'm a bit better at this I've explored it and then after that second game you have explored it and it doesn't blossom in the way I was expecting it to. And it doesn't reveal hidden depths. You are just playing the same game again and again and again. And the convolution becomes more apparent than the depth and actually exposes the lack of depth. Because I'm thinking a lot, but there's there's not much to it. I'm just thinking the same puzzle all the time. It's not to say I didn't enjoy it. It was okay, but I was probably ultimately disappointed in the in the lack of delivery on the promise that I felt within it, and Almadi for me gets a fifty-two. Yeah, misery. Okay, so we're going to move on to another one that's, that's hit the hotness a little bit recently, just before Christmas. It's Furnace from uh, designed by Ivan Lashin and coming from Hobby World Stroke Arcane Wonders uh, over in uh, the UK and US. This is a, an engine-building Euro game set in the 19th century where we're capitalists and we're building our industrial corporation by extracting resources and then processing them, processing them and then processing them in the best combinations possible to just to make as much money as we can. There are two phases to this game. Probably the most important in terms of getting everything in is, is your auction phase. And this is where you're going to place a number value disc of one to four on cards. And these are resolved with the highest number getting the card, but the other bids on the card getting resources in, in as way of a compensation. And the, the resources you get are equal to the number of the bid tile you play. So that's already quite an interesting auction mechanism. 
Then the second phase is production. Really simple. You run your engine. Your cards in front of you are all different factories and they're going to produce different goods or turn things into things. Very simple. If you've ever played an engine builder, you've seen everything that the second phase has to offer. You're going to run that production and then whoever's got the most money at the, ga- at the end of the game wins. Very simple. Ronan, what have you heard about Furnace? What's the name of that game? That I call a fidget spinner. Is it Spice Road? Uh, Century Spice Road, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So half the game is that, right? Pretty much. But you're doing, but that's that's very quick. You, everyone does that on their own. You, it's the building of your production and sort of building towards something. So if I if I want to go down a certain road to get a certain resource, then I need to bring factories in that turn things into that resource and gather those resources and the clever bit for me anyway is working out what other players are going to stick their big four on so that i can put my three tile on to get loads of that resource as a as a compensation and that is a key element of the game yeah my understanding is especially as you get to rounds three and four basically buying the card isn't worth it as much as getting the reward is because you're not going to get to run it enough so you kind of have to switch your thinking a bit. But that can lead to a strange arc because the fun bit is built into the first two rounds where this is what I've built. And then the last two rounds are just, well, just run it, run it. Even with bidding, I'm just trying to run. No? Yeah? Yeah, to, to a point. To a point. I think it depends what comes out. If uh, if cards that suit your engine come out, then you are gonna you can bring more of those cards in. They're going to get you more money for iron, more money for coal. If you've got low, massive coal production, you're gonna you're gonna be bidding high for those and trying to get those buildings. And other people are gonna see that and they're gonna write, well, Sean's he's got loads of coal coming every round. He's gonna want that building that turns four coal into five money three times. So they're gonna put their three down there because they know I'm gonna want it. And that's that's where understanding everybody's engine and understanding what they're gonna go for. But also knowing where you want to go is, is really important in the auction. I think 90% of this game is in the auction. And how easy is it to understand other players' engines? Because there's there's thoughts on here that I'm reading that, that you can take lots and lots of cards and it almost gets to the point of being out of control by the time it finishes. Everyone's got a lot of cards going. Yeah, you, so can you... Is it able to... Is it? Are you able to judge other players' motivations and what they really want, or is it a bit more hit and miss than that? I mean, it is only a quick game, so I'm not saying like you know. It's a quick, it's a quick game, but you you see what they're generating. Like it's very easy to look over and see. Right, Matthew's got a stack of coal. Luke's got a, sh- uh, a stack of iron. Then you kind of know what they're going after. Um, I think the other one is uh, oil. Oh, Natalie's got a, a, a pile of oil. So you know what, what kind of things they're generating and they're looking to turn into money ultimately. But there's not a lot to it, mate. There really isn't a lot to it. And that's one of my problems with the game is there's no variety hardly at all. Everything is a slightly different version of the next card. And the next card after that is just a slightly different version. It might be a different resource or a slightly a better way of earning money, a slightly more efficient way of earning money than the, than the one before it. So that's my big, big problem with the game. So when this was first being talked about, and it's quite a long time ago, and it's that funny, like our board game 
industry doesn't often get the timing of hype right because the hype tends to come out way before the game is actually available because companies are desperate to get the first copies into the hands of, of influencers and reviewers yeah. and so i always find it a bit weird that we're getting reviews for games that you and i can't play for six months when yeah. i look at youtube i'm like well i'm gonna have forgotten about it in six months <laughs> and this happened a bit with furnace but well we discussed it at the time because it was getting huge hype and i said looking at it from afar this is not got enough legs to stand up to this massive hype of how amazing it is it's good because it's quick to learn and it's quick to play and that's the sort of game that gets a buzz out of a con so I think actually they might have done it a favour that it's calmed down a bit on this one and everyone's not expected it to be the best thing since sliced coal. So hey. therefore, actually, I've kind of bounced and now I'm rebounding slightly back towards it, which is why I asked you to bring it down, but you cruelly rejected to do that for me. <laughs> so I don't have a score because you're an awful person, but you do. I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, just to touch on what you were saying, and obviously the, the pandemic and the shipping crisis and all of that has made that gap so long between getting those games that uh, I, I think I pre-ordered Furnace about four months before I even saw it so it kind of gone out of my head and so but when it did come it was it was a pleasant surprise uh, to get onto my score I, I really enjoyed my and I still enjoy it but what it has is a shelf life because exactly what I just said similar cards a similar process lead to very similar games the magic of the game is the auction, but I don't want to play this too often now because I've played it like five or six times now. I think if I was to quickly play another three or four games of it, I'd probably get rid of it. So I want to put it away on the shelf now and maybe bring it out in six months' time and play a couple of games because I think it is a fine game, a really good game, but there needs to be expansions. And for that reason... At the moment, it's a 72 for me. I think that score could go down slightly over time. Right. You'll catch us the other side of this very quick break. Okay, next up for me comes from a design classic pairing, maybe the design classic pairing of Kiesling and Kramer. It's Savannah Park from 2021, Deep Print Games, one to four players taking about 45 minutes to play. And the premise is very simple, Sean. You get a board that has got a bunch of hexes on it. You have got tiles that have got six different types of animals on in different numbers and in different patterns and uh, designs and, and mixed together i can't think of a good word for that words have gone out of my head very good but basically there are eight tiles of each of these animals that contain three or two or a mix of them or all six together or three of each and whatever you lay them all out tail side up if you like which is a bad expression to use when you're talking about animals but they've got their generic side up then on a player's turn they choose a tile they pick it up on their board and they put it down into available space on their board and they flip it over so it shows their colour. And everyone's got their own board they're doing this on. And what you're trying to do is the next player then chooses a tie, everyone picks it up and puts it down on a spare space. And everyone's board starts off randomised so that it's all, we've all got a different starting position, although we're all trying to get to the same goals. We're trying to get to create groups of animals that have got access to watering holes because you're going to score points by the number of animals available. And there's 11 animals maximum available on these eight tiles of each. And there are three watering holes available. 
Each animal has their own watering hole. There are also one watering hole on the main, only one tile that features all six animals. And there's one watering hole on two tiles that have three particular sets of animals each, which sets the pattern of how you're going to do this spatial puzzle. Also, once you've finished your puzzle, there are fires on the board. They come with a set board, but there's ability to mix it up. But they will burn particular numbers of animals so if the one power fire has got any single animals around it they're going to burn and die and might mess up your pattern so the two will burn up sets of twos and the three will burn up sets of threes there are also other spaces on the board the rock which it starts in the center in the basic setup you can never go on there so that breaks things up makes it harder there are also trees and grass which you can cover but you cost you a small number of points because you won't have them able to score points at the end of the game Sean, very quick to explain now, very quick to explain in person. It's a very simple pattern-creating game. Any initial thoughts on Savannah Park? I really enjoyed the sort of bingo-ish element to it, and there was more control than I initially thought there was going to be. I think, yes, other people are calling out animals, and you have to adapt to that, but you control where they go, and I felt that there was quite a lot of control in, in where you do it, and I, like, I, pref- I liked it for that. So the control comes from, I think, that while the ultimate goal is to create groups, when you're playing, you are as much concentrating on creating space. Because if you don't have the right space when a certain tile is called out, it can really mess with your plans. And that's sort of the, the switch that I had is that I have to create these opportunities. I have to mitigate. I have to, if someone calls out an elephant tile, I have to have a space for that elephant tile. I have to definitely have a space for those core sixes and threes that have got water on them. So it was a lot about, I'm not calling the tile I want to put in position. I'm calling the tile I want to get out of the way. And that might be a chain that's like four or five. I need to move this one here to move that one there to create a space there. But I'm not in control of how that happens because other people might jump in and affect that chain. And I have to constantly be thinking and flexible in what I'm doing. Yeah, you, you got, the thing I found I was doing was just leaving little gaps all around the board because I'd, I already identified what I wanted to go there and it was a case of I'd rather that Ronan called that so that I could call something else which would be beneficial to me. So I know that three elephant needs to go in that spot. If Ronan calls a three elephant, I know exactly what I'm going to do. So it's better for me to start looking at other things for myself to call that are going to help me. So that's the way I looked at it. I do wonder if as you became more familiar with the game, whether you'd pay more attention to other people's boards, would you have the ability to deliberately call things that would screw them up? Because you do sit there at times going, don't call that. Don't, I'm not ready for it. Do not call that. And then, you know, we, the way we've always played it, and I've played this six times now, the way is that people are not doing that because you've all got your own problems going on. But as you become more and more familiar, I wonder if it could become quite cutthroat like that. Well, I've literally written down that I wouldn't want to be in a game where people were expending time in sabotaging others by studying their board and studying mine. Because I, the thing I like about this game is it's quick. You just you quickly boom, 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 boom. Everyone's taking their turns quick, and it's quick, fun experience. And if you turn it into like a, a game of chess where you're looking at every move and studying it, I think that would ruin the whole experience for me. All be pretty funny. I'm quite. I'm sort of fifty-fifty. <laughs> I probably wouldn't do it with you though. You'd kill me. Uh, the thing about it's it's wonderful players. You can play like a solitaire version, not that I ever have. But the more players you have, the more sort of 
chaos, if you like. It's not really chaos, but the less control you have. That's where you have to have be even more flexible with what you're talking about. With two players, you kind of know, oh, I've only got one other thing to worry about. When you get to three and four, that's when you're having to really sort of compromise your grand design in order to not screw everything up by having sort of breaks between your two groups of drafts and stuff because you only score one group of each. You're going, ah! All the water's that side, but all the the big the animals that side, and I've done I've missed the bit in the middle. I think that's why I prefer this at two. As I said, right at the top, I I just like the control. I like to be able to control where everything goes and setting up spaces. And I think I've never played it at four, and I think from my mind, four would be just a bit too chaotic for me. Quite stressful. Yeah. I know that you've got concerns. I've played it once or twice that it could get samey. It has got the option for the variable setup. And I will say that after one or two games, I was like, oh, I don't know how much more this has got in it. Having played it those extra times, it hasn't. And I'm quite surprised. It's still, I mean, my brain is still working. I think it's a, it's a function of being quite thick. My brain is still working on the puzzle and it is slightly different every time. And I can't always go because of that input from other players. I can't always go exactly where I want to go. So it, that constant throw up of different situations to react to has been enough to keep it feeling fresh so far. I know what you're saying, and I trust you, but in Do my you? mind, I can't, I can't <laughs> believe you. <laughs> because I just, I look at it, and your journey's the same. Your, the end point of your journey is the same. You still want groups of animals, whether it be groups of antelope or elephants. You're still going to want groups of animals together, and you're still going to want them around water, and you're still going to want them not to be burned at the, the fires. So... There's only so much different that it can be, surely. Yeah, I thought that too, but I'm still loving it. So okay, I can't really, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really too much more thought behind it than that. Okay, it's a quick game, quick review. What's your thoughts on Savannah Park? I enjoyed it, Ronan. I, I really did. It was really easy to get into. It was it was a brain burner, but not too much. It's a perfect game when you've coming down off a, a big Euro or something for me. It's fine. I have no need to own it. You own it. And for that reason, I'll give it a flat 60. A flat 60? Just okay. 60 bang on. Six, six out of 10. <laughs> I'll look for a bumpy 60 at some point. <laughs> You're not getting a bumpy 60. <laughs> this has, in recent weeks, been our sort of go-to game, our go-to filler, to be honest. And our go-to game when there's a gap when anyone's here because it's two minutes to teach. And that helps so much. You're constantly doing something. There's zero downtime. There's frustration. There's reward. A lot of the interaction is basically via abusing each other. For producing it. I can't place that one. Why did you choose it? It's a winner. And the surprising amount of longevity so far. Not the greatest game ever. But I'm giving it a 76, Sean. Ooh. That's not bad for you. Not bad. Not bad at all. It's a big score for you. It is. I will move on to another game that has creatures in it and animals or or some description it's dinosaur world the latest big thing coming out of pandasaurus games designed by brian lewis david mcgregor and marissa misura dinosaur world is absolutely the successor to dinosaur park dinosaur island even and you are building a dinosaur park hence why i made the mistake and in this game you're doing it by recruiting workers you're buying resources, whether they be dice or tiles, dino pens, attractions, shops, and you're improving your park by making the dinosaurs and you're improving security, etc. And lastly, you're going to take your customers on a tour of your park in a Jeep. 
And that is one of the biggest changes from Dinosaur Island, Ronan, is that you're taking, you're going on the Jeeple tour, which, so it absolutely matters where you put each of your tiles because you're going to have to go along them and you can't visit anyone twice. And you are going to draft workers each round and the workers all do something different and they give you little bonuses that are different. You never actually managed a game of Dinosaur Island, did you? I did not. You love this theme, and I am less fussed about this theme. <laughs> so you're like my dinosaur person. I've said it before. Basically, I'm going to let you play all of them, and in 10 years' time, you'll choose the best one, and I'll play that with you. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the spatial aspect. I, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, Dinosaur Island, one of the letdowns was that people felt the spatial aspect was a bit weak. Yeah, Dinosaur Island was all about just getting the dinosaurs built and into into pens dinosaur world you do have to worry about where the pens are and what's around them because you can score points off it and also where's your jeep going to go this turn because your jeep you have to build up the range of your jeep to take people around so at the beginning it's only three tiles so you can go around so you really got to think about how you're going to do that and where you're going to go and the tiles depreciate the more often you visit them so Obviously, everyone gets really excited. Oh, it's a Triceratops. The second time they see it, oh, it's a Triceratops. Third time, oh, a Triceratops. <laughs> I still get excited about squirrels in my back garden. <laughs> They're very hard to please, obviously. <laughs> and, yeah, so you can't, if you if you smash one tile, it's just going to start costing you uh, points in, by the end. So there's that to think about. Okay. I'll... Wow, actually, I'm, I was going to make a point, and I'm going to make a different point now. I'm going to keep you hanging. Okay, I'm going to go to this one. You said about the variety of workers. Mm-hmm. Mentions of, with the variety of workers and the variety of player boards, it can be a bit of a pain to get people into the game because of that variety and having to know what all the different things do. No, I don't think... It, I think it was an easier teach than Dinosaur Island, if, if I'm honest. And maybe because... I've only really taught it to people who kind of understood Dinosaur Island and there are a lot of similarities, but we found it a little bit easier to learn. I heard the rule book was quite a good layout while we are on that. <laughs> yeah, the rule book was absolutely fine, does does the job well. I didn't have any problems learning this at all. The, the workers, going back to the workers, they all function in the same way in many aspects because you can use them all as a worker, but some tiles need a specific type of worker, and each worker, for one of the actions you can do, each worker gives a slight bonus to to that. It's, it, it's not that hard to work out. It's all you do have a player aid, which is there's a misprint on the player aid, by the way, which is it was a bit confusing, and the player aid tells you what ones do what, so it's it's quite easy to tell. I think. Okay. One of the concerns with regards to new players as well is uh, some of the components being tiny and some of the symbology being tiny. Oh, yeah. You've got tiny hands, so it shouldn't be. I have got tiny hands, so I was fine. But generally, oh my God. If you had giant hands and you were a giant, would it have been difficult? It would have been very difficult. Matthew has very dainty little hands. He He couldn't pick up some of the tokens off our table. They are tiny little bickle things that you can barely see tiny bickle things and some of the really functional fundamental things is you've got to look you've got arrows that point where your jeeple's gone so to show you've been they are absolutely tiny so people have started changing them for those you know those little tiny 
nine millimeter dice and stuff. They've, they've started swapping out the tokens for those. I did hear that. There you go. Also, uh, one of the compliments it's getting much more freedom and less scripted than Dinosaur Island. You're less on rails because uh, you're in a Jeep, maybe. And you get to go wherever you want to go. <laughs> I just thought of that. Maybe that's good. You're in a Jeep. And, yeah, could be. I, I see. I never saw that with Dinosaur Island. And a lot of people did say it. I think because Dinosaur Island was so well structured, which was a great aid to learning the game and to knowing what you're doing each round, it kind of felt like you're on rails. But there were different ways to do things and there was different things to explore in Dinosaur Island. And I think it was just the structure of the game that felt a little bit more sort of tight and confined. Whereas the structure of this game is, is a lot more loosey-goosey. It's a lot more do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. It's not, it's not as sort of you have to do this and this sort of thing. Okay. Space and setup. You don't want this on a small table. You don't want it small on a small table, and it takes an age to set up. Absolutely, but certainly not a dinosaur island, so I can't really put mark it down from the two of those on that. But uh, yeah, certainly it's a big sprawling game with a lot of big boards and a lot of big tiles, and you do have to have a lot of space. You do like big boards, and you cannot lie. <laughs> I like big boards. You didn't have to sing it, though. Come on. I did. I did. You Come did. on. If you put it in my head, I'm going to sing it. <laughs> Any points for you to make? The main one, number, so one of the main down, downs for me, downs, uh, minus points for me is there's a massive element of luck in this one because there are there's dice rolling and it directly affects your in-game points and your your points within the uh, in the game as well. When you visit a dinosaur... You roll a die. Herbivores are obviously less likely to see a hit. But if you do get a hit, it means that somebody has died and you're going to take a death token, which is going to really affect your score at the end of the game. Now, it's more likely that the herbivores won't damage you, but you could get unlucky and build a really safe zoo and every turn just get really unlucky with the dice and end up losing the game because of that major flaw in the game, in my opinion. That's an ouch. That's a serious ouch. You kept that one in your back pocket for a while. I kept that one in my back pocket, and honestly, it, it happened. I built a massive park full of T-Rexes, Spinosaurus, Gigantosaurus, obviously, and Nat built, like, a Brontosaurus, a Stegosaurus, a Triceratops. She had, like, nine or ten deaths. I had two. No, that, that shouldn't work out like that, surely. She should have just built better as well. Like, well, yeah, she obviously had to. She obviously, she obviously was feeding them something. This one's at risk, Sean, and I'm at risk of breaking my own promise about dinosaur games. Go on. Because in, in the comments for itself, and also in reviews I have listened to, I am being told that Dinosaur Island Raw and Right, dodgy name, especially because Raw isn't spelt R-O-A-R, anyway, yeah. does everything. That Dinosaur Island, Dinosaur World do in a much quicker and briefer package. And I'm, I'm look, it's £25, you know, delivered. I think I might dive into that one. I didn't get it, and I'm starting to regret that decision because I've got Welcome to Dino World, which I also think is a really good right, roll and write from Alley Cat Games. And I thought, oh, it can't be much different to that, but everyone who's played Raw and Write has said it's a really good game. And it is sounding like something that I might need to have a little sniff at myself. So, mm, 
maybe a faux pas. Jolly good. Sum up there the dinosaur go. world for us, please. This one started off quite strong for me. I liked the differences originally from Dinosaur Island to Dinosaur World. I liked the spatial element, but sooner it just started to feel a lot looser and a lot easier to do things. And on top of that, it felt a lot easier to have mishaps as well. So this one just seems a lot luckier and not as stressful in building everything. So for that one, I think I'm going to get rid of Dinosaur World because I don't want to have the two. They're too similar to have in my collection, both of them. I think for me, Dinosaur Island is a stronger game. This is still a good game. I've given it a 74. So Dinosaur World, good game, not quite as good as Dinosaur Island. I think that that opinion probably goes against the trend. I think it does. I think it does. I think most people to it. You're entitled to be wrong. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Quite often am. My last game is called Great Plains. It is a two-player only game from Trevor Benjamin and Brett J. Gilbert. It's from Lookout Games 2021 and about 20 minutes to play. And that is definitely about right. One of you is the foxes, one of you are the snakes, and you are vying for area majority over open areas of a hex set of hexes with hexes on them. And whoever has got area majority in an open area is going to score points for that area, depending upon how big it is and whether there's any water available in that area. Now, you set up the game, there are seven tiles, you randomise them, they're two-sided, you flip them around the place, and you put them down, one in the middle, and six round the outside. And that will create various patterns of mountain spaces, these lowland spaces which you score, and also grass spaces on which you're going to be able to recruit special animals. On each of the seven tiles there is one cave available, and you do a draft in which the players choose caves one at a time, because the caves give you access to where you're going to go, because once you finish draft in the caves the last player to choose a cave is the first player to place down one of their little animal pieces you have got a very limited number of animal pieces and they must go from your caves and branch outwards always connecting to something you own you cannot go on mountains when you go on the lowlands you're basically just adding to area majority for that particular area but when you go on grasslands you get to claim animals sean and that is one of the things that mixes it up. You can claim an animal token to spend later to let you jump over a mountain and go to an unexpected area or an area maybe you didn't have access to previously due to where your caves were. You can get horses, which allow you to run through quickly because you block. When you're building out from your own pieces, you cannot go through the other player and you can block off access to areas. And you also have bears, which can attack under certain circumstances, push back the other player's pieces to allow you to jump in behind and claim an area or possibly even take those pieces out of the game if you've lined it up properly and they don't have any backup behind them. Sean, this one is another one that's very quick to teach, but has got some decisions to make with regards to those caves in the first place are absolutely crucial and whether to go directly to claim the area majority or is it worth wasting a piece in order to claim an animal first of all yeah it it does teach really quickly plays very quickly and yeah i i thought that there was enough decisions for the length of game but another thing i really thought about this one was it felt really balanced i didn't look at oh yeah obviously the caves are important where you go to 
But I didn't look at sort of what you were doing and, and areas on the board and think, oh, you've got a much better area than me or you've got access to things that I don't. I could always nip in places. And that, for that reason, the whole game felt quite balanced. And I appreciated it for that. Yeah. And another thing that it does that the way that it's laid out, as much as it gives you sort of dead ends and alleys, there's always some way in them, more or less some way in them. It also makes the scoring very, very clear. You can see exactly what people are going for. You can see exactly what areas are worth. And you are making your decisions and they're informed on what the reality of the scoring is going to be. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It was all open information. Everything was, was there. Really easy to see. I'll, I'll go I'll go on to the, the really clear colours, iconography, everything. Absolutely lent itself to making quick, informed decisions about everything. And... Just jump onto another point. Normally, a lot of games I don't like attacking. Even you, I don't like uh, specifically just attacking all the time. This game, I felt like it. It was. It was the game. You had to get. You had to get mix in. You couldn't just let people go and take large areas. You had to go and mix in. You had to use a bear to knock them off the side of the the board and stuff like that. And I felt that that was absolutely fundamental to the game. So I didn't feel bad doing it. Interesting. You should bring that up. Go on. One of the things that I got stuck on was there are going to be two or three more valuable areas of the board which are going to be worth six or seven or eight points of a score that's generally going to be somewhere in the teens. You have very limited number of pieces. I say it to you, said to you when I talked to you, I said, you've got fewer of those than you think you have. And you yeah. got down to having three left and you went, oh, I had fewer of them than I thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> and you do. And every animal that you put on the board is uh, absolutely an investment. You're not going to be backwards and forwards all the time. It's like, I put that there. That, that, you know, that is a real thought to put it there. On those bigger areas, you cannot afford to just give them up because they're worth so many points. If you just give them up and you let the other player take them for one or two pieces, you're at a huge disadvantage. But then you can get really bogged down fighting over them. And you can start, I can't let him have eight points. It's a 16-point swing because it's a two-player game. So then I have to use a piece to go for a bear. And then I have to use a piece to go across and kick yours out. But then you're probably going to come back at me with something. And then we end up tit for tatting. And you get bogged down in the bigger areas because you have to. All right, it's an interesting decision point, as in how much to invest here, how much do I just go for the smaller areas, but it's not one that I always enjoyed. I, I mean, I haven't played it as much as you by a long stretch, but I actually really enjoyed that aspect of the game. And I also felt that you could set up little traps and make people focus on going over and having a little fight where you maybe could go and exploit another area because they couldn't fight on two fronts. So I, I quite enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, you've played it a lot more than me, so maybe that becomes a bit tiresome if you're constantly doing it over and over. I, I actually think it's just a personal thing. I think it's something that lots of people will love about the game. It's just that that's sort of completely subjective from me that I I was getting a bit hung up on it. Well, there's not much more to say about it. This is, we've yeah. explained the whole game. Give us your final thoughts on Great Plains. I just thought it was a, it was a lovely experience in a short time frame. Uh, say it all the time doesn't outstay its welcome bright it was colorful and i just said a lot i had fun playing it yeah it's it's not earth shattering so for that reason it's a 64 but i think that's uh i think that's a fair score for it it's a good game 64 yes i like it 
I think it ends very quickly. It's a very quick teach. You're very involved with each other. It's a good two-player quickie, but I'm slightly hung up on it, and I gave it a 68. Oh, <laughs> there you go. About the closest we've ever been, I think. Probably. Okay, all right, last, last, but probably least in time frame, given that it's a two-minute game, is Peer A Team, and designed by Rory Muldoon, coming from Alley Cat Games. Peer 18 is a game where players construct a peer by taking turns and you're drafting from just 18 cards, hence the peer 18. So you're going to lay out cards along in a, in a, in a straight line away from yourself or across, wherever, as a, looking like a peer. And you're going to score points uh, like so. Each card on the player's peer has a different type of visitor. You've got fishers, lovers, poets and flower sellers. And they've all got unique scoring conditions. And additionally, each player's peer has one of 18 unique scoring conditions that they will score. It's like an end-of-game scoring point. That's it. It's simple, as simple as that, Ronan. You, you can bosh this one out in two or three minutes each game, so you'd probably want to play a series of maybe three or four. Pier 18, have you heard any thoughts? No, no. I think it's a bit... <laughs> I think it's a little bit cheeky. Is it cheeky? It's a question rather than a statement. Go on, then. 18... Why is it cheeky? 18 card little games are yeah. basically what Buttonshy does. Circle the wackens. It's sp- definitely in response to Buttonshy. And they, you know, they've done very well with it. And they are actually often on social media put out things saying, if you've got an idea for an 18 card game, send it in to us. It doesn't have to be, it could be one sheet of paper. You have to send us the games. You tell us your idea and we'll consider it. And it's their niche and is specifically making a small 18 card game okay could you not made it 24 cards or 17 cards i didn't realize that button shies were 18 cards uh yeah now that you've enlightened me that is very cheeky and that's a definite shot across the the, the bowels isn't it it's a little, i mean there's nothing saying you can't do it but should you do it no it's a bit it's a bit naughty it's a bit naughty <laughs> other than that what you've done is brought out an 18 card game which by all accounts, is nowhere near as good as the best of Button Shy games. So it didn't seem like a very good idea all around. I mean, I've got so little to say about it. I've looked into it. I've looked at it. It's, it's so there's not. It, there's not much to it, but I don't think they're supposed to be, and that's that's kind of the line I'm going with this. It's supposed to be a two-minute game. It's not supposed to be, wow, I can't believe they've, they've crowbarred that deep, thinky game into just 18 cards. But like a two-minute game, is it worth it? Is it worth me actually getting up from my seat to go and get it <laughs> and bring it over? We'll play it for two minutes. I know you said yeah, play it two, several times. Two to five but... minutes on, on a train. Maybe you play best of best of five, best of ten. Or you're going somewhere further away and you play best of 100. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't it's, work. It's... It, wouldn't, it has to be an odd number. It wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it's too, it's a bit too light for me. We might as well sum up here, right? It's a genuine pocket game, literally, as, as button-shy games are, it was literally fitting into your pocket. The cardboard itself is are the rules. You open up the, the packet and the rules are in there. And I thought it would be a great selling point to say this was a completely paper game with no plastic, but it came wrapped in cellophane. <laughs> it would have been a great selling point. I mean, these these, these kickings just keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very tight. It's, every game's going to be a one or two point difference. So there's that. But... It's too light to be a serious game, but for me, it's not trying to be a serious game. I 
personally would like another layer or two added, but you know what? I will. I don't have the button shy games. It's, I may, may be thinking I probably should have them because they, they are probably better. I'll pop it in, in my pocket for journeys and I'm going to give it a 54. Oh, okay. Uh, for what it is. You know, if I was judging it as a game, like against. Judging it as a other, game, did you enjoy it? Would you want to play it again? I would take it with me on a trip and I would play it on the train, I'd play it on the boat. So whatever. you would? So that's cool. It. Okay. Yeah. Judge, judge it for what it is. Fair enough. <laughs> I felt like you were being too kind to it because you were like, we're well, not trying to be much. I, anyway. I, no, I, I, was, I was trying to get the balance because it's not that. It's not a great uh, experience, but it's not supposed to be. I mean, it is so, supposed to be. It's still no, supposed to be an I'm enjoyable game. It is. It's not all right. It's not a deep experience. Fair enough. It's not supposed to be a deep thinky game. It's supposed to be a two minute game, and I'm just trying to judge it on what they've set it out to be. So, for me, about fifty five, fifty four. That's all. Right. That's all I, right. I still think you. I've never played it. I still think you're being too kind to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's us done. All the reviews are in the bag. Any further they thoughts? Are. No, just uh, wondering what you've got coming in. I know you've got uh, Brian Baru. You got that in, didn't you? Oh, we go. I, I haven't written anything down for these. I was in a bit of a hurry. Oh, I'm making off the cuff, off the cuff. Oh, nice. What else? Uh, Tab on the Sea came in. Uh, oh, nice. Um, keep thinking. Uh, Raw and Wright has somehow just been ordered. Somehow. I don't know. Oh, somehow, really, during, yeah. the, during the podcast. I might have seen little chaos <laughs> cards there. And I might have got to have a bit of that. And uh, we, uh, I got a load of expansions to cartographers. Yes, I'm jealous. Yes. I, I, I want to get a few of those I myself. played that a couple of times over the weekend, mate, and it's still still holding up. I'm enjoying it. Do you want to tell people what you did with the poor role player bonus card they give you? I use it to clean out things on the groove in my table <laughs> because I haven't got role player. I'll never have role player. I had about, yeah, I mean, what, you to say? what was I going to do with it? God, I'll tell you what, it didn't stand up to much abuse, did it? Those role player cards are not designed to fix furniture, which to me is a bit of an oversight. I was, I was staying with Ronan and I did go up to bed and have a little chuckle about that card. Just destroyed it in about three seconds. It was, it didn't, yeah, no, okay, yeah. No. Fine. Calling me out for that, are you? Uh, you, anything coming in? What have I got? I've got Paleo coming in. Oh. Boone Lake is belated Maybe. Christmas present that's Maybe. still winging its way. Maybe, possibly. I have pre-ordered Boone Lake, that's true. And I've got another one that I can't think of the name of it. Oh, that's it. Um, the Messina 18-something or other, the 13, sushi game. 13-something or other. There you go. Yes. I tried to get, I was looking at that and I was looking at Botoku as well, but I've been able to take the plunge so far. Yeah, as you said, Botoku looks very busy. Okay, so sorry, I was slightly distracted by Rachel attempting to take off massive boots right next to me as I'm recording. I might have to uh, (laughs) go and have some, (laughs) she just had to hobble out the room. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, Sean, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, Ronan. Thank you very much for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back next time with more reviews on the Game Pit Podcast. We are a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. That podcast might be ending, but the other podcast network will continue strongly onwards to massage your ears with board gaming goodness. We are available for chat on Board Game Geek on our guild and on Twitter and other social media, but mostly on Twitter on Board Game Geek. And all our episodes can be found on Podbean.com and Spotify and other various places and amazon and other things good lovely gamebitpodcast at gmail.com 
This music is by E. Aaron. Bye.